Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. I can't believe what's going on under this administration. It's nothing to sing about. I actually want to sing because I'm going to get to see my grandsons in like less than 24 hours, and that's uh, huge. All of you grandparents out there know what I'm talking about. But there have been some pretty serious events, and since um, I may not be live in, in the morning, I did have to speak about this. We lost nine service members who were on board two Black Hawk helicopters that were uh, crashed during a training in Kentucky out of Fort Campbell in Kentucky. The two helicopters crashed and there were uh, nine service members who were lost. The crew members were from the elite 101st Airborne Division. They were flying two uh, HH-60 Black Hawk assault helicopters. They crashed at around 10 p.m. last evening in Kentucky's Trigg County. They were part of the U.S. Army's sole air assault division, nicknamed the Screaming Eagles, based out of Fort Campbell, which of course is right on the border between Kentucky and Tennessee, just 60 miles north of Nashville. I mean, this has been a really tough time for that part of the country. According to reports, two helicopters came over pretty low, and then all of a sudden, as soon as they got over the house, a a man was uh, reporting to a radio station, something popped, and everything shut down all of a sudden. Debris from the choppers, estimated to cost over $10 million apiece, fell from the sky and was dispersed across the ground as fire crews arrived to extinguish the burning flames overnight. All nine service members were confirmed dead by ABC News on Thursday night, and that came directly from an Army official. Obviously, we do not have the names yet um, because all family has to be notified, and of course, uh, we will let you know next week um, just exactly who was on, who were on those two Black Hawk helicopters, and um, Officials from Fort Campbell arrived on the scene about an hour after the crash to carry out their investigation. Of course, you're also going to have investigations by um, the FAA. There's going to be all kinds of investigations, and they will ultimately find out if it was sabotage. I mean, you just don't know. You're talking about $5 million helicopter training facility that they left out of. The HH-60 is part, is, is a like a... A, a type of Black Hawk helicopter. And really what it does is it provides support for uh, you know, medical evacuations and air assaults 
And it is actually one of the most unique training facilities at Fort Campbell in the world. Um, it even has a sea vessel flight deck so that they can practice um, realistically how to land and how the crews have to operate uh, were they to have to land in an, uh, on the water, you know. Um, in February of this year, there was a UH-60 Alpha model Black Hawk helicopter that flew for the first time entirely unmanned, and it was just controlled from Fort Campbell. They do not know what caused this accident. This is a very professional group of men and women who serve in this division. Um, the Screaming Eagles, you know, they're the tip of the spear. I think Secretary of Defense Robert Gates back when called them that. They're the most potent, um, the most mobile tactical division in the U.S. Army. They became really renowned during World War II in the D-Day landings and in the Battle of the Bulge. And of course, they've been everywhere, Afghanistan, Iraq. They've carried out NATO missions and counterterrorism missions. So it's very sad. you know. And again, uh, you don't have to be in battle. When you're in the military, your life is on the line all the time, including during training. And that's something that we will honor those soldiers next week when we have all the information. So much going on, really, that, you know, you, you just, your head spins. Russia decided to arrest a Wall Street Journal reporter and accuse him of spying. They literally, according to the story that I read this morning in The Sun, they literally, he was on assignment for the journal, Evan Gershkovich, 31 years old. He's in, uh, you know, he's in this town, a remote town of Yekaterinburg. And he was dragged out of his, uh, out of a restaurant and, and bundled into a car by a bunch of plain-clothed officers with a sweater pulled over his head. And then he appeared in a court in Moscow where he pleaded not guilty to espionage. Then they see, you see him being led into a van by guards from the Lefortovsky court in the Russian capital. According to the Kommersant, which is the Russian newspaper, he will be transported to Leforto. Lefortovo Prison, which is a pretrial detention facility, which is notorious for harsh conditions. Thousands of people were shot or tortured to death there during Stalin's Great Terror. And if he's convicted, he faces up to 20 years in jail. He's the first reporter for an American news outlet to be arrested on spying in Russia since the Cold War. Russia's been accused in the past of arresting Americans because they like to use them for barter. You know, uh, Brittany Griner uh, was a recent example of that. And then they swapped her for an international arms dealer by the name of Victor Bot, Dr. Death, right? Opponents of Putin, they find themselves thrown into jail on cooked up charges. Gershkovich reports on Russia as part of the Wall Street Journal's Moscow Bureau. And he's, you know, he's accredited. He's allowed by Russia to work there by the country's foreign ministry. They got nervous when he didn't call the office. 
The Wall Street Journal uh, issued a statement. The, they are deeply concerned for the safety of Mr. Gershkovich. The Wall Street Journal vehemently denies the allegations and seeks the immediate release of our trusted and dedicated reporter. We stand in solidarity with Evan and his family. Look, we're in a, 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 a proxy war with Russia, whether, whether you want to admit it or not, whether I want to admit it or not. All the political analysts out of Russia or, you know, who, who concentrate on Russia, they're all saying he was just taken hostage. You know, he's a, he's a journalist and, and supposedly a very good journalist, not a spy. So this is a frontal attack on all foreign correspondents who still work in Russia. And that means that, you know, I can tell you right now, this, the FSB security service, of course, to me, it's still the K KGB, you know, they're unleashed. They are, they are uh, doing whatever they want again. Why? Well, in my opinion, they are, you know, Putin puppets. And they're ticked off. So we'll see. He published a report earlier this week talking about how the economy had slowed down because of the sanctions um, that the West put on Russia during the year since they entered Ukraine. It's been a year. And they said he was acting on U.S. orders to collect classified information about Russia's defense industries. He was allegedly engaged in the collection of information about one of the enterprises of the Russian military-industrial complex, which constitute state secrets. They said he was acting on instructions from the U.S. government while trying to obtain secret information. Now, they've not offered any evidence to support that. The Kremlin said the ar arrest was, you know, standard. They caught him red-handed, they said, even though they provided no evidence. So everybody is saying that he went to Yekaterinburg to write about the attitude of people to the Ukraine war and the recruitment of locals for the Wagner Group's private military company. Um, Gershkovich is a U.S. citizen. He was born to parents from the Soviet Union and has lived in Moscow for six years working as a journalist. He made a trip to the city several weeks ago and just returned this week. Russia, you know, has certainly during the Trump years didn't make any allegations of spying against Western correspondents, right? Not American, not anyone else. Now, a lot of correspondents from Western media outlets left the country after the war started 13 months ago because they knew it was unsafe. And I do believe that true journalists don't run when things get unsafe. So uh, it's just going to be very interesting how this all plays out. But once again, it's so obvious to me that the world is laughing at us. The world literally has made a determination that there is a president at the helm of the United States of America right now who won't do anything. They can do whatever they want. You know, and, and even he'll negotiate for a, a basketball player, let's see if he'll negotiate for a journalist, especially a journalist for the Wall Street Journal who's not a particularly, uh, you know, liberal, crazy leftist media outlet. You know, 
Just thank God it wasn't a Fox correspondent because they would probably make the case for Russia. So, you know, obviously, you know, there are some other big stories. I did one of my thoughts of the day, and I can't remember if it was today or tomorrow. I think it was for today, about uh, all these geniuses, including Elon Musk, who have really been, uh, you know, leaping forward with all this artificial intelligence stuff. All of a sudden, they're panicking, right? You know, all of a sudden... Elon Musk is saying, oh, no, no, wait, 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 we got to stop. Why? I mean, I'm a little intimidated and nerve makes me crazy to see all of that uh, nonsense that AI is doing, these fake pictures. You know, the Pope was taken to the hospital. He had some chest pains. But the other day I saw a picture of the Pope in like a puff, uh, you know, ski jacket. And I'm looking at this picture and I go, this has got to be photoshopped or artificial intelligence, something. Because just, why would the Pope have on a, you know, one of these down parkas that's all puffy? You know, it's just something registered in my little brain that said, this just doesn't look right. But we did have all these AI geniuses, including Elon Musk, say that they really are a little bit nervous and they think we should have a moratorium (laughs) on artificial intelligence, anything past the GPT-4, whatever. You know, they think it's, uh, we're we're getting pretty close to uh, turning the whole world upside down. Isn't that interesting, right? Meanwhile, you got all of these, uh, you know, people now freaking out about Twitter. And I do mean freaking out. Now, I was knocked off Twitter for so long that I have simply lost the habit. I go on it very infrequently. And mostly I go on it when something big is happening just to see the, you know, what people are talking about. But I don't, uh, I don't, I don't tweet out things anymore. You know, when they, when I was knocked off, I pretty much uh, lost interest. And I've actually lost interest in almost every social media platform my producer sent me something yesterday she wanted me to look at that was on a Facebook posting. I, I don't even know if I have a Facebook post. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I assume that I could um, utilize the Joyce Kaufman Show Facebook page and read it, but I don't even know how to get on it. You know, I don't have the app on my phone or on any of my computers. I'm not interested. I, I watch people make themselves crazy. I've seen what it's done to young people. I've seen what it's done to old people. You know, who needs to know, you know, what you had for dinner? Who needs to know when you walked into the post office and when you left the post office? There's way too much information. We have given bad guys a ton of information about us. And so, you know, to to be thinking about um, Twitter, which is really uh, apparently, according to all of these um all of these postings today on various websites, Twitter is dying. You know, it's been five months since Elon Musk took it on and he paid way too much for a pretty small microblogging platform called Twitter. I mean, he wishes now he'd bought Substack, I'm sure. And of course, he was furious because all the numbers were faked. 
But if you're someone like me, I, I just don't even get it. You know, what made it so popular when it was popular? You know, there was all this information, experts, celebrities, and we were all on there. Every time there was a, a debate, we were all on there. It was fascinating. And there was something kind of uh, allure, alluring about it, right? It was pretty raw. Get unvarnished opinions, even from like, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, the Pope. But the real power of the platform came from the wealth of knowledge any Twitter user could directly tap in just by listening in on somebody's thread or sliding a question into someone's uh, direct messages. It was an information network. And then, of course, you know, it wasn't a free site, although I guess people did, did get to know one another on Twitter. I had somebody tell me the other day, I had a breakfast with, um, with two people, with a friend and, and, another, and a new friend, and they told me that, you know, they reached out to one another on Twitter. You know, just to, to, one person was moving down to Florida and the other person lived here already and said, hey, you know, I, I, I followed you on Twitter and, you know, when you come down here, if you need to know where a good dry cleaner is, I'll tell you. And this was done on Twitter. And I'm like, what? I would never even think of that. I don't even know if I follow anybody anymore on Twitter. I suppose I do, you know. But I left uh, before Donald Trump got thrown out, and that was a long time ago. But I, I wonder what uh, Elon Musk is thinking now, because it's going down, and uh, and Tesla's not doing well. So it's a good thing he has as much money as he has, because this has really been a kind of brutal period for him. Not to mention for Matt Taibbi and any of the people who revealed the Twitter files. Now Matt Taibbi has a, you know, uh, IRS agent showing up at his house while he's sitting in Congress testifying. Hmm, that seems a little odd to me. How about you? Anyway, don't forget, we have a lot of contests coming up this week. Uh, Bites and Spirits, a pair of tickets to Bites and Spirits, which is an evening of live music, food stations, spirits, and a silent auction, benefiting United Community Options of South Florida. You can enter on our app or on our website, 850WFTL.com. There's also going to be a pair of tickets to the second annual Fork Cancer, a cocktail and entertainment scene. It's a party with a purpose, bringing together the best of Palm Beach's vibrant food, cocktails, and entertainment for one night. That'll be April 20th at the Norton Museum of Art. Again, you can enter now on our app or at 850WFTL.com. I'll be right back after this break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The only people I feel sorry for are the people who are, 
you know, being arrested in Russia and dragged out of restaurants and people whose family members perished in a, a, a Black Hawk helicopter uh, accident during training. But I can tell you who I am not feeling sorry for. I'm not feeling sorry for the uh, trans activist movement who have literally just been exposed by this awful killing. I mean, the idea that they would argue that somehow the victim is the killer is so, I, I just, I can't even wrap my mind around it. And it's so amazing to me how quickly this particular school shooting disappeared off the front page of the newspaper. I mean, think about this, you know, and I mean this seriously. If this had been, you know, some, you know, 24-year-old disaffected white kid who walked into a school and did this or walked into a black church and did this, this becomes the only story we talk about for months. And instead, they threw a quick bone to the gun control crowd and said, okay, you got to have gun control. We need assault weapons taken off the street. You know, they did that. But then the story just like faded away. Why? Because God forbid anybody should ask the question, does this have anything to do with the fact that this, uh, this girl thought she was a boy? Just, just wondering, you know, uh, was she mad at this Christian school because Christians don't buy that? I don't know. Don't you think that maybe we ought to ask some questions about what motivated this? She left a manifesto. I just heard the, you know, on our station, I just heard the voice message that her friend left for some law enforcement or suicide hotline or something telling us that she had said, you know, I'm going to do something. <laughs> you know, this is, this is what happened with, uh, with um, the, the Parkland shooter. You know, one of the neighbors called the FBI and said, hey, look, you know, this, this kid is disturbed, man, and he's going to do something. And it got lost, you know. These things get lost. But they don't ever lose a beat when it comes to talking about gun control. And like I said yesterday, it's not the guns. It's not the guns. A rock in the wrong hands killed Abel. A rock in the right hands killed Goliath. It's not the rock. It's not the gun. And anybody who pretends it is, is really disingenuous and not looking to answer the question. Something's terribly wrong with society. Some young people are so disaffected and so disenfranchised from one another, they just don't have humanity. They have no empathy. They have no compassion. And it can't just be an anomaly. It's got to be our fault. You see, I'm not afraid to say that. And I don't think we should be afraid to talk about it. Now we're going to find out all of these uh, reasons that they're not going to disclose what was in the manifesto. There is no good reason. This should be public record already. Yeah, I'm really sorry if a marginalized group gets their feelings hurt about this. There are six families who had more than their feelings hurt when this took place. And if there's anything we can glean from that manifesto that would warn us that there may be other people planning these kinds of things. You know, when the gun control advocates jump up and down and scream like uh, Jamal Bowman did yesterday in uh, 
Massey's face and the halls of Congress, he's screaming, ah, you don't care about the children. You gotta go, you gotta get rid of the guns. And, you know, and I'm looking at this hysterical temper tantrum being thrown by a congressman. Of course, he's from New York and a member of the squad, so that kind of clarifies why he's such a lunatic. But I'm looking at him stomping his feet and I'm saying, like, do you not care that we've had some seriously disturbed individuals doing this stuff? What what is going on with these individuals? They're under care, right? So so they are not unknown entities. They're under psychiatric or psychological care. They're on uh, psych meds. There are reports of their behavior right up until the moment of the killings. And we're sitting here going like, oh, it's about the guns. It's always about the guns. If we could get rid of the guns, the people would stop being crazy. Does anybody believe for a moment that... Audrey, Adri, ID, whatever her name is, his name, I don't care. What I care about was what was going on in their minds. You know, what kind of craziness has to happen to an individual to pick up any weapon, to pick up a rock, to pick up a a, a knife, to pick up multiple guns and and look at a a nine-year-old, a little nine-year-old girl you know, with little blonde ringlets and, you know, big blue eyes and put a bullet in her. It's not the gun. The gun didn't do that. My gun has been sitting here, just in case you're wondering, has been sitting here quietly for years now. Multiple guns, quietly. They don't, they don't ever leave the safe or leave my hand or leave my holster without me knowing about it. And I am not going to use them in the commission of an aggressive, violent attack. So my guns are innocent. Unless I choose to conduct myself as a criminal, unless I do something vile and heinous like this creature did, the gun won't hurt anybody. But we can't have that discussion. Instead, get rid of the guns. If we get rid of the guns, there'll be no more violence. Yeah. I see that guy in Canada got stabbed to death in the street. You see how people kill each other in countries that get rid of guns? They manage to kill each other. Yeah, they do. It's amazing. They also manage to get guns. But hey, if a criminal gets a gun, well, oh well. But if me, in defending myself from the criminal, has a gun, I need to be I need to be arrested. I need to have my gun taken away from me. Corinne Jean-Pierre yesterday wouldn't even say she's not for gun confiscation. Oh, we're going to do whatever we have to do. You better not try. I'm going to tell you that right now. I I don't know if I heard it on Tucker or Levin or somewhere. There are over 300 million people in America, okay? And there are over 400 million guns, which basically means most of us have more than one. Many of us have more than 10. Okay, and and in addition to those guns, we have a lot of ammunition, which is why the Japanese never launched an attack on our soil, because they say, hey, everybody's armed. Nope, not going to do it, which is why a little country like Switzerland stays pretty safe, because they know every home has a gun. So I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm so angry at this inability to discuss this this insanity that has infected young people and which I believe has everything to do with a lack of morality, a lack of parenting, an initiation on the part of educators 
to indoctrinate these kids into the stupidest, sickest, most insane ideas possible and then hope they uh, turn out okay. They're not turning out okay. Even the good ones are not turning out okay. They're depressed and they're uh, overdosing on fentanyl. It's not working. What we're doing is not working. And I'm going to be talking about it every day. If you don't like it, then don't listen. But somebody's got to talk about it. Anyway, let me take a break. We'll be right back. Stay right where you are. The great piece on, uh, at the uh, JNS um, about diversity. Because I, I've, I'm up to my eyeballs. This is another thing I'm going to continue to talk about. This whole DEI, diversity, uh, you know, uh, insanity is what it is, okay? And the, the insane quality of what the Anti-Defamation League has done, they have this no place for hate education as a model for how school districts can address intolerance. And, and by the way, this program has been adopted all around the country and people are cheering it. Well, people in education are cheering it. Parents aren't cheering it because what it is is a comprehensive effort and it has everything from lesson plans to what you can read, teacher training, and all of it ostensibly is aimed at promoting respect for differing groups and rooting out prejudice. And by the way, the ADL was supposed to be a nonpartisan organization that was dealing with uh, anti-Semitism. You know, their current CEO and the national director, this Jonathan Greenblatt, doesn't do anything when it comes to being nonpartisan. He's a promoter of the Democratic Party talking points. That's all. And, you know, there was an incident in a Michigan high school where the No Place for Hate program is in play. And, uh, you know, this was supposed to be combating bigotry in this era when the toxic myth of critical race theory has literally filtered down. Not now, it's not just colleges. It's now in secondary and primary schools. Anything involving the promotion of diversity is just as likely to be promoting hate as eliminating it. Because you can say that it's a sound concept, but you have to look at what actually happens when you do this stuff. There's only one reasonable conclusion, and that's when you look at what happened at Bloomfield Hills High School, which is a Detroit suburb. The school has a large number of Jewish students. It's also located in a Detroit suburb with a considerable Muslim and Arab population. And so it's enrolled or whatever involved in the ADL's No Place for Hate program. And one of the speakers that was chosen to make a presentation was Huweda Araf. She's a 47-year-old Palestinian-American lawyer. She's a former congressional candidate, and she is an, a virulent anti-Israel activist. At four times during the, the diversity program, she delivered remarks in which she said, Israel are occupiers running an apartheid state. They're committing genocide in Gaza. She said they have no right to be a state. It is Palestine. It does not belong to them. Now, okay, some of the parents and students got a little upset about that. You know, the Jewish ones, 
because all of a sudden there's a surge of anti-Semitic incidents targeting the Jewish kids at the school ever since Hueda spoke there. Students are getting messages like Hitler was right. And if, if you have a speaker who the point of her invective is to demonize Jews and to delegitimize the one Jewish state in the planet, which is always the case with anti-Zionist activity. They say it's anti-Zionism, but it's anti-Semitism. So the school's principal said that she deviated from the proposed program and didn't, they didn't know she was going to say that stuff. Once, maybe. Twice, maybe. Three times, not likely. Four times, out of the question. And, and the fact that he rationalized her appearance as one that was based on her personal perspective and experience. Really. But none of the four different sessions that she spoke at did any of the administrators or any of the teachers present say a word. They didn't speak up and say anything while she was ranting this way. So the school issued a second apology, and this time it took responsibility for the problem. It said it failed to own up to its own role in promoting anti-Semitism. But the fallout the fallout from the event is very divisive. Some Jews are doing their best because this is unfortunately what they do, are doing their best to minimize it. And I just, you know, I, I, I just, I'm so frustrated because you, who's defending the people who really still need defense? And in this case, it's the Jews. Instead, uh, we actually put a program, the Anti-Defamation League puts a program together which encourages students to bully Jewish students. The, that the school failed is indisputable. And that the ADL failed is indisputable. But the problem is a lot deeper than that. The problem is that having a speaker at a diversity session at a no-place-for-hate school who engages in anti-Semitism is exactly what you can expect whenever you start hearing people scream about DEI, DEI, diversity. I'm so equity, inclusion. I'm so tired of those three words. This is critical race theory teachings. That's all it is. People are divided into groups, oppressors and victims. In the mindset of critical race theory, ideology, and intersectionality, Jews in Israel are white oppressors of people of color. That's what they do. This whole intersectional, I hate that word. I can't even get it out of my mouth. This intersectional thinking actually analogizes the Palestinian war on Israel with the struggle for civil rights in the United States. So diversity is just a matter of empowering minority groups who are deemed victims. And in the leftist mindset of those who have been indoctrinated in this whole woke doctrine, Jews are the bad guys. Their rights are trashed. Smears are aimed at boosting efforts to, to destroy Israel. They promote that stuff. A study conducted by the Heritage Foundation said that diversity officers are making college campuses a hostile environment for Jews because of their anti-Zionist attitudes. So CRT teaching gives anybody a permission slip to anti-Semitism. And that's, you see that in debates on college campuses. 
where these noxious theories had their origins, but it also influenced a wide range of educational activities. This, these liberated ethnic studies programs that they have in California, and now you see the ADL, they're not immune. There was a, a Fox News digital expose showed last fall that the curricula that the Anti-Defamation League has been handing out to schools as part of this No Place for Hate programs included critical race theory, all about white privilege, the need to address the problems of whiteness, praise for the anti-Semitic Women's March group, and support for the idea of contemporary Americans paying reparations to those whose ancestors were enslaved. Now, the ADL said, oh, that was a mistake. But the presence of that kind of material in their work just keeps with their Democrat Party ideals. This is who they are. There's absolutely no point in pretending otherwise. This is a battle for the soul of this country. Actually, it's a battle for, against good and evil all over the world right now. The question isn't, how do you fix the mess that happened in uh, Detroit in Bluefield High Hills High School if you're going to continue with this, uh, this obsession with diversity? The real problem is, can the ADL and all these uh, you know, anti-hate education groups, not just the ADL, can, can, can they be salvaged? I mean, they're so badly compromised by all this woke nonsense. Can it be salvaged? And what's the point? I mean, the point is it's supposed to champion uh, no hatred towards Jews, but apparently uh, they're doing more harm than good. And I see that across the board in this country. Americans are traditionally falling back from traditional values. There was a piece in The Hill today that you know, a new poll says that patriotism, religion, having children, being involved in your community are all in decline. And and you got to wonder, you know, the poll says what it says. And already they're tap dancing in the hill. I'm watching the hill. Oh, I don't know if this is the right conclusion. Well, I don't really need the hill to tell me that we've become morally bankrupt in this country. Just look at what happened in Nashville. Just look at what happens every day on the streets. Morally bankrupt. You know, I get notices every day with these, uh, you know, posters from the Broward Sheriff's Department, uh, Palm Beach Sheriff's Department, telling me who they're looking for. This one was in a hit and run. Uh, if you see this car, here's two murder, you know, victims. Uh, do you know anything about this? $5,000 rewards. And I'm looking at these things and I'm thinking to myself, we, have, we are just... <sighs> and interestingly enough, I was trying to calculate how many were gun violence incidents. About 50%. People who want to hurt other people find a way to do it. They'll use their car. They'll use a hammer. They'll use whatever they can. Anyway, um, don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock, Dan Bongino at 4 o'clock, Ben Shapiro, and then at 6 o'clock, the WPTV News, and Jen and Bill will be back at 6 a.m. with the South Florida Morning Show. As for now, I'm going to take a break, but I will be back to wrap this show up today. Stay right where you are. So much happening and so many just disturbing news stories, and and, and I'm just going to talk about this stuff. I know, you know, it would be... I woke up this morning and I said, well, maybe today's the day where I'm just going to do like the happy show. 
you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about all of the, you know, wonderful things that might be going on in the world. And then I go, that's not my job. That's just not my job. You know, I, I don't do recipe shows. Um, I'm not that, I had an interesting conversation last night. Here's a little bit of, uh, uh, what do they call this? Uh, Joyce Insight, right? We were at a show last week and my husband got pulled out of the audience to sing with the artist, Earl Turner, a Las Vegas guy. And um, and so everybody was just flipped out because my husband has a magnificent voice, right? So they all were calling him. All these people in the community were calling him, come out to karaoke night. And it was last night. It was karaoke night. And so he was like, he didn't want to like even entertain it or tell me about it. But I knew it was karaoke night. So I said, hey, you know, why don't we go to karaoke night tonight? <laughs> I'm laughing because you have to understand I really dislike like karaoke nights because most of the time what you get are like 30 people sign up to sing and like, five of them actually can sing and the other 25 you kind of endure and and you, you feel bad because you know yeah I'm sure they think they sound good but you know they don't but I said he he was interested I said okay let's go you know sign up and and you can sing so we endured like some really horrifying singing uh there were two or three people that were pretty good and uh <laughs> And then he got up and of course he blew everybody away because he just has this magnificent voice and he sang My Girl by The Temptations. So it was like people were like actually standing up and dancing, you know, it was, which is cool because, you know, since he's been off the radio for so many years now, you know, he doesn't get the applause except at church and you don't usually applaud for a preacher. As a matter of fact, you're usually pretty upset because they probably called you out on stuff. <laughs> so... He was happy, you know, we left, it was pouring down rain, he didn't seem to mind the rain, we just, you know, went on home. And and uh, the, the point of the story though, is that I've decided that there's, you know, there, there is still some joy in life. It's just you gotta reach out and find it, you know. I think it's Tucker Carlson who ends every show by saying, you know, just go in and hug the, the people you love or, or be with your, family tonight or some such thing. And I always tell you, you know, on the weekend comes, you do not have to be, uh, you know, attached to your television set or attached to the uh, internet. It's not necessary. You know, the, the news doesn't change very much. It's just bad all the time. You know, and, and if you stay saturated in it, if you never get away from it, you're just going to be sad. And I, I'm just not interested in being sad. You know, I'm going to fight the good fight. I told you that. I'm going to be talking about all the things that people don't want to talk about. You know, and I'm not alone. Dan Bongino does it. There's a bunch of people who do it. But, uh, you know, you, you really have to, you, you have to decide what's, which hills are you going to die on? I'm going to die on the culture war hill. I'm going to die on the Israel hill. I'm going to die on the Second Amendment hill. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to die on the right to life hill. There's a few things I'm willing to, to, to die on that hill. But I can tell you this. I ain't dying on the DEI hill. I don't want no part of DEI. 
Diversity, equity, and inclusion are dirty words to me, okay? DEI are three letters that I don't want to hear because what they've done is destroyed maybe two generations, definitely one. Statement just issued by Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Last night, we lost nine service members in an accident during a routine routine training mission in Kentucky. My heart goes out to the families of these servicemen members and to the members of the 101st Airborne Division who bravely and proudly serve our country each and every day. I'm saddened by this tragic loss, and I'm working with Army leadership to make sure our troops and their families receive the care they need in the wake of this accident. Well, that's nice. Did the president say anything? No, because the president could care less about the military. I'm not even that sure Lloyd Austin cares that much. But, uh, you know, he, he at least had the decency to make that statement. And he, of course, was a member of the military. So I suppose he actually really means it. Anyway, uh, my plan is to not necessarily be right back in this in front of this microphone for tomorrow and Monday because I am making yet another ridiculous short turnaround trip to the West Coast while it's still there because between earthquakes and floods and all this other jazz and Governor Gavin Newsom, you never really know how long California will be there or how long it'll be part of the United States of America. So I am making a trip out there to see young Benjamin and young Abe and of course my daughter Jenya for her birthday. And then I'll be back on Tuesday morning. But we've got plenty of shows. We, uh, My producer has put together plenty of programming so that you won't even miss me. Some of you won't even notice I'm gone. I love when I get text messages and emails telling me what a great show it was. And I'm thinking, I'm not even there. But she's that good. So uh, I thank you. Um, did you say 30? Okay. <laughs> 30 seconds. All right. Well, thank you uh, for your time this time. Until next time, you all stay safe. You all stay well. And of course, you all stay right here on 850 WFTL. Dan Bongino is coming up next, and I will be back before you even get to miss me. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.